0: What is up everybody? That's a new greeting for me Colin. That is. Yeah, but it's an exciting week. I hope everyone had a great Labor Day weekend. Colin and I were in New Jersey for the Mr. Beast Burger grand opening and that's one of our main topics we're going to discuss on this week's episode of the Colin and Samir show. We're
1: also going to be answering some of your questions. The first question we answer is how do you decide what works even if you have a small audience?
0: We're also going to talk about how to improve certain skills as a creator reacting to a post in our Reddit where people are talking about these skills that they want to improve as creators. Now, I just want to say, I know I came off a little strong last week about rating our show, but a lot of people rated the show. So thank you so much for rating the show. If you haven't yet, rate the show. And if you haven't subscribed to our YouTube channel for some reason, we are closing in on a million subscribers, would love if you could subscribe. All right, let's get into it. So last Monday, I get a call from Jimmy, Mr. Beast. And he's like, hey, what are you doing this weekend? Why don't you come to the Mr. Beast Burger opening in New Jersey? Now, for me, as we talked about last week, that was a pretty, I had made the decision on the phone with him that we were going to go. And Mm -hmm. then you and I talked about it and we decided to go. And we just got back. Now we filmed the whole experience, which was one of the most wild experiences I think I've witnessed in this industry and probably that we've captured on camera. So before we get into your questions that you guys sent to us, we wanted to just talk a little bit about that experience and what it was like. I'm sure you saw some of the visuals of people in the mall, but it was crazy.
1: Yeah. I mean, somewhere between 10 and 15,000 people in the mall Maybe and more. over 5,500 burgers were served in a day,
0: which is absurd. Yeah. You got there before me. Yep. So here's how it went. I was in Portland for a wedding, took two flights to New Jersey, which was not easy flying to Newark from Portland. Colin, let me tell you. Yeah. You fly in. What was your first experience when you got there? My first experience was
1: heading over to the American Dream Mall and seeing this massive structure, which is a ski slope, (laughs) an indoor ski slope. So the American Dream Mall where the Beast Burger was opened, is unlike any other mall. There's a water park, there's a ski slope, there is a roller coaster, it it is just a, it's insane. And I was there actually before Jimmy even showed up. So I was there waiting for the entire team. I think they had flown up from North Carolina that night. And I got there and I met the team for Beast Burger. So the people that had financed it, the people that are running it, and the executive chef. And you could just feel the nerves the night before. Yeah.
0: I, I think there was probably n- like a lot of nerves because of how many people were already in the mall. When I arrived, I walked through the mall trying to find you. And the line was multiple stories long. Like it went through the first story and the second story. And people had sleeping bags. There was people who were camping out. And, you know, I expected that, but seeing the visual of it, it was like, whoa. This is a lot of people. There was security and they decided to keep the mall open all night to allow people to, to sleep in there. And when I got up to the restaurant, I think my first impression of it was pretty quickly, oh, this isn't a fast food restaurant. This is Mr. Beast World, something more akin to like Disneyland. It had, you know, uh, showcases like glass cases of artifacts from his videos had the squid game suit. It had um, cash through a, a you know, glass box that you could see. It had his videos playing in the background. It had all these different elements that if you're a fan of of Jimmy, this is like a museum or like a place that represents the world that exists in his YouTube videos.
1: Yeah. And there's a merchandise store inside the restaurant. Yep. Outside the restaurant, there's turf with red circles, which if you watch any of his videos, you know yeah. he always does that series. You now, know, granted just to be clear, circle.
0: that's not like a permanent fixture. No. The turf with the red circle was there for the event. But the way they set yeah. it up, it sure. was like Disneyland. Yeah.
1: Right? It was Beastland. It was not just come here and get a burger.
0: Yeah. And I think that the vibe in the restaurant <clears throat> was very much, oh my God, there's so many people here already. Yeah. You know, and trying to calculate like, how is this going to go tomorrow? And I think additionally, because... It, not only is it, you know, his first opening, it's it's this restaurant's first day. So they haven't operated yet. Like well, they haven't no, served no, a burger. They had, yet, right? they, had served they had burgers the
1: day before. The day before oh, okay, was okay. was like a soft opening.
0: But they did it to the public or to yeah. like friends and family. They did it to the public. Oh, interesting. Okay. I didn't know that.
1: But there weren't that many people, right? It wasn't the same type of thing. Yeah. Uh, and the staff truly had just met. Right. Like, you know, this is this was their first real test. They'd only opened for one day.
0: And the, the interesting thing is that the most amount of burgers sold in a day prior to this day was 2,000. 2,000 burgers is a lot of burgers to sell in a day, you know? And they were anticipating trying to break that record significantly over 2x that record, right? So they're trying to basically organize how many burgers can they make an hour and then looking at the line and, and figuring out, like, how's it going to move? How's the line going to move? Mm-hmm. There's a really interesting room to be in, um, especially when Jimmy got there and they, they discussed. I don't want to go too, too much into any of this because our plan is to put together a video of our experience. But all I, all I can say is it was, like, really a cool experience to see Jimmy walk in and play multiple roles. He absolutely is not talent. He doesn't walk in, say, looks good, and then walk out, you know? He's in there being like, what is the audience's or the fans' experience going to be like tomorrow? How are they going to walk in? All the way down to, how are they going to get a soda? Is it easy for them to get a soda? Is it easy for them to walk into the merch store? Is it easy for them to read the merchandise menu, right? Like the prices. And he's, he's very detail-oriented around everything that's going down. So that first night, we were there until, I think, 1 o'clock in the morning with him. Mm-hmm. Before we went to the hotel. Yeah. And again, I don't want to get too into it. uh,
1: But the one thing that I do think is interesting to talk about is the fact that this is not necessarily about money opening Beast Burger. Because if you think about it on YouTube, the goal is you grow your audience, you keep your costs pretty much the same, and your margin increases. I mean, there are some people who make YouTube videos from their bedroom, but their audience increases and they start to make a lot of money from revenue or merch opening up a restaurant, you have really high costs, extremely thin margins. Yeah. You know, we were talking to someone there who said, you know, a good day to a fast casual restaurant is around $7,000 a day. Right. You know, you look at YouTube, like some of the numbers you can do, it's
0: so much higher than that. To put that into context, that's like a million view video. And so if you're a creator who's doing a million views a day, you're also generating that, but you've already made the video. So there's no like additional labor cost or additional- You're not paying rent. Yeah, you're and then- You're not paying employees like that. On top of that, if you have brand deals associated with it, again, like the numbers in the media business are v- much bigger than the numbers in the restaurant business, especially because the average order is is not that significant. I mean, you know, let's say someone buys two beast burgers and a Coke, you're talking about 25 or 30 bucks, right? So the, like on a normal day, the amount of people you need- in the door at a restaurant is incredibly significant to even get to that $7,000 number. Yeah. I mean, your costs are high. It's,
1: it's, it's hard to even break even. And so I think when you look at what this beast burger opening was about, it was potentially more of a marketing play to grow the brand of Mr. Beast. Yeah.
0: I think it be in a
1: physical location where like fans can meet up and sure, down the line, maybe some company comes in and buys Beastburger, Burger. Yeah, and, and that's helps them the operate big it. payout. Yeah. yeah. But the day-to-day, like you're not he's not actually making yeah. money from Beast Burger that, that is then going back to his videos because that's what he always says, right? Like, yeah. I don't care, I just want money to make the best videos.
0: Now now that said also, Beast Burger started as a virtual restaurant and it still is. So similar to if you take a step back and look at Apple, when Apple opened their retail locations that wasn't necessarily about selling computers there. It was about building trust so that people would buy computers. They Mm -hmm. could go buy them at Best Buy or buy them online. But what that was about was about having a physical representation of the brand that has friendly faces. That when you walked into an Apple store, people were smiling. People were there to tell you about the iPhone. People were there to tell you about um, the devices so that then you felt more trust to go buy them. And it wasn't a scary tech company that you couldn't understand. It was a warm and welcoming environment. So I think when, when I was there, what I recognized was, oh, this is a physical manifestation of the Mr. Beast brand, a place where you're going to have friendly smiles, a place where you can go sit with your friends, a place where if I'm a fan of Mr. Beast, I can walk in and bring three of my friends and they can kind of immerse themselves in the world, watch the videos on the screen, check out the props, go to the merch store. It really is much more of a Disneyland than it is you know, a, a true restaurant business. But that said, it does need to operate like a restaurant, like for the experience to be good. The primary action that everyone needs to take is order and eat and enjoy it and enjoy it. So I want to read, um, you know, as we get into Sunday morning, when we actually traveled to the mall with Jimmy the title of the Rolling Stone article that was put out about this is Mr. Beast brings chaos and confusion to New Jersey's most ridiculous mall. I want to agree with one thing there. Most ridiculous mall. This mall is absolutely ridiculous. The hmm. fact that it has a ski slope is insane. I was going to push back against that. I think, yeah. how dare you <laughs> say that it's about insane. the American Dream Mall? It's, I mean, it's a crazy place. It New doesn't Jersey's finest mall, perhaps it, the finest mall in the world. But East Rutherford is nice this time of year. I will say that. Every town Every- <laughs> in New Jersey is nice this time of year, Samir. Okay, so there's, there's another line in here that I think is a really interesting line. It says, um, the opening of Mr. Beast Burger restaurant, uh, oh, sorry, uh, the, thousands of men, women, and children have come to the grand opening of the Mr. Beast Burger restaurant and are now clogging the arteries of the Galleria, rabid for a chance to see the man who says he wants to change the world. Okay, first and foremost, when we arrived that day, I was really surprised the night before by the amount of people that were in the mall. But when we arrived this day, it was like something I had never seen before. Now, again, if you haven't seen the pictures, we tweeted out a video that I took of Jimmy. Um, There's pictures all over of this, but it was, the visual of it was truly like sensational. And even walking in with Jimmy and hearing the crowd erupt anytime he was seen was like, it gave me chills. It was a very like, One Direction Beatles moment for all of it. Um, And I do think that that was a little bit scary, I think probably for everyone. I mean, I know it was, it was a scary moment. It was the security guards, everyone was like, "Um, we've had celebrities here before, but we have never seen something like this. And I think it's still taking some time for people to recognize the difference between a YouTube creator's relationship with their fans and a celebrity's relationship with their fans. The way creators are engaging with their fans, or even how a fan is understanding a creator, it's very much getting immersed into a world. And then also, especially with Jimmy, it's this assumption that he is there to give you something, or you can get something from him, because that's what his videos are. Exactly. Like So your, your, your parasocial relationship with Jimmy is I see this guy's face, he gives out money to people. To everyday people. Yeah. Or he gives out, you know, there's an episode uh, of his, of, uh, uh, on, on his channel where he gave someone a million subscribers. Like he's able to change your life. And so you start to realize that not only are these people lined up to go to Mr. Beastberger, but because he's there, they're there because they, there's a lot of them who think that there's an opportunity for their life to change.
1: Yeah. I mean, Harry Styles or Olivia Rodrigo's product is not giving out money to people and changing their lives. Right right? Like that's not why people consume them. So the relationship is different. You're a fan in the audience there to like hear the music. You're excited. Sure. Maybe you have a Beatles esque response, right? But what you don't expect in return is cash yeah, yeah. or a life changing opportunity.
0: Yeah. And I think also the context of having, you know, there was multiple areas where there were turf with red circles, which is very, you know, Mr. Beast. And again, the context of that is you can win money. Um, and people did. And people did win money that day. So I I do think that that is, you know, I think similar to when I think back to Casey Neistat and his daily vlogging era, even for me as a fan, when I met him, my context was I can gain something from him. I can get something from him, not like the normal relationship of just like, oh, I maybe I have something to give him like gratitude, right? (laughs) Like maybe I have like, Hey man, you make really good work. Like my context, when I met him with you, this experience was like, how can we like gain from this situation? And I think that's the relationship that uh, like every, all those 20,000 people and millions of people have with Jimmy, which makes that the context of, of a live event really challenging. Cause that I do think that rabid nature of the fans is because they're, you know, in this context of like, I can gain something from this guy. Yeah, I don't think we should
1: go much further than that. Okay. I think that's just All what right. it is. It was All a right. interesting experience. I've never seen anything like it. It was a difficult experience, but we will go further into it.
0: It was a difficult experience, form. but for us, not that difficult. No, I just yeah. mean like <laughs> pulling off the event. Yeah, Pull, was for a them, difficult experience. for the team pulling off a one of a kind event. The one thing I do want to acknowledge is like we're in our industry. Even though these things have happened before with celebrities, musicians in our industry, stuff like this hasn't happened before. And the rest of the world is still trying to understand what it means to have the biggest YouTuber show up somewhere. Um, and people are still trying to understand how, how audiences react to that, how fan bases react to that. I don't think like a lot of Jimmy's growth happened during the pandemic. I don't think he, he's never put on a live event. This was one of the first big live events. So I do think that we should all, we should like take a step back and recognize that our industry is still like budding. It's new. And this type of fame has never existed before. And and things are going to look different and people are not going to know how to deal with this yet.
1: Yeah, I mean, you and I spoke about this when we were there. When the first McDonald's was opened, there were not, a hundred million people who are intimately familiar <laughs> with, with the fact that <laughs> McDonald's was going to open. Yeah. Right. Sure. And this is like the, the opposite way of doing it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Where it's like, let me grow a hundred million people who are interested in what I'm doing and then launch a burger company.
0: Yeah. It's yeah. This has never been done before. It's audience first. And it's like an incredible amount of audience first and then yeah. product. Whereas traditional companies are product first, then build an audience for it. I think what's additionally crazy is you're starting to see tweets now that, uh Feastables like is now in Walmarts and there's like big installments in these Walmarts that are about to roll out. And you'd have to assume Jimmy's probably gonna do some event with Feastables at Walmart. Um, all in all, I say like Reed said Reed Jimmy's manager said this in our interview with him. He said the first one through the wall gets the bloodiest. And I think that's what they're experiencing right now. Like again, this is a first. No one's been this famous on the internet before. No one has done this stuff before. So things are going to be a little crazy and people are going to learn from it and they're going to, you know, adjust and whatnot. My curiosity is how, how people are going to engage with this beast burger two months from now. Mm -hmm. What does it look like when Jimmy's not there? You know, who knows? Are people going there? Yeah, maybe. We'll see. Yeah, maybe. So when we were in New Jersey, like one thing that was substantially different from what we do today, uh, and it's what we used to do, was we both had cameras in our hands and we were covering the event and covering Jimmy, like documentarians. And that was a very unique experience um, because it's something we haven't done in a while. But it's also something that I think I assumed our career would eventually get to, you know? Mm -hmm. Like it's what I thought we were We were always going towards the show was actually just came out of like us trying things and experimenting, but that was the thing we were doing prior to the Colin and Samir show. Yeah. We were really a traveling road show. Yeah.
1: Whether it was traveling with a pro athlete or eventually some creators like yes theory, like that's what we did. We traveled and you and I both held cameras and we looked to find the best shots and we'd film a mix of B roll. We'd find some good moments And then generally we would be the the ones to edit it, put it together. Mm -hmm. For me, it was amazing showing up the first night before you, how uncomfortable I was and like self-conscious about being the person who's filming initially. And then by the second day I sunk into it and I just enjoyed it so much. Mm. Like setting up stable B-roll shots or being in rooms, capturing conversations and then leaving that room with so much energy because I can't believe we just captured that conversation.
0: Yeah. Like, I, it reminded me of, we made a documentary for NBC Sports where we were like chasing storylines uh, because it was all unfolding. It was at the Premier Lacrosse League training camp and we were like trying to find stories. And that was like one of the most exhilarating things to be like, oh, this happened. Let's get these three angles about it um, and interview these people around it. And when we got here, it took some time to warm up, but it felt really similar that it was like oh wow we are we are tracking the story of this day in real time and you're tracking problems yeah. throughout the day and you
1: just want to see how they're going to be resolved
0: mm-hmm. i also think it's interesting to like humanize situations mm-hmm. you know to to be with jimmy in in situations that people just don't see him in and you're in the room like those are very human moments where you know, celebrities feel sensational and you rarely think about them in human moments. What I really love about what we
1: filmed is that it doesn't matter that he's Mr. Beast and he has over a hundred million subscribers. Right. It Doesn't matter. Yeah. Because we just captured really human moments that would be universally interesting to just see someone go through that. Great. And we also captured human stories about some of the people who worked at the restaurant. Mm -hmm. Right. And they're on the same playing field. They're no less interesting really because one happens to be Mr. Beast and one happens to be someone who works in the restaurant. And I think that's, what's going to make the video that we put out really dynamic.
0: Yeah. Tracking something that is unfolding in real time and you don't know how it's going to go. That's why we loved sports so much. We used to talk about that all the time. It's like there was established stakes where it was like one people, one person's going to win, one person's going to lose, and you're going to watch how it unfolds. And that's interesting. And that was kind of, you know, I think there was probably more stakes than we anticipated going into this um, that, that unfolded. But that's why when you pick the right thing to film, it's so dynamic and so in, engaging to be a part of it because you're living inside of the story. And you're getting to, I, I feel very natural in the space of, showing people something through my lens, like through my perspective. And it's kind of what we do through conversation, Mm -hmm. but to paint that picture with cameras is very fun and very natural for me. Like, I don't know. I love being on camera. I don't want, I actually think I want to be on camera for a lot of my life, like speaking on camera, learning Mm -hmm. how to do this better. But at the same time, being behind the camera and being someone who can pull in a bunch of data in front of my eyes of what's going on and make a decision on what I should film to present that moment to other people is really fun. There's just so much adrenaline. It's incredibly reactionary. Especially when the stuff's only happening once. There's not that
1: much time to think. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're bar- I mean, you're barely thinking. You and I weren't even next to each other the majority of the time. That's true, yeah. We were filming separately the entire yeah.
0: experience. Yeah. And then we would eventually come back at certain moments and be like, I got this, I got that. What's funny is I knew what you were getting, too. Like, I could, I could put to get, piece together in my head what you were filming just because of how much we used to do this. Yeah. You know, like, I could piece together what you were filming. And I think without communicating, you knew what I was filming. Like, yeah. I, my job was to capture the moments with Jimmy. Your job was to go capture... The greater experience. The greater experience, right? And we never, we never said that to each other, but it just, we just know that that's what's happening. Yeah. So that was, it felt very like, you know, back into that world where when we first started this channel, we used to say all the time, our goal is to make documentaries. Our goal is to make documentaries. And it felt like the realization of that. There was something that you said to me, you know, before we, we even started this channel, where you said, I want to make a documentary that millions of people watch. And it's like something that has materialized and probably in this effort is going to materialize on a bigger scale. And I think some of the most unique footage we've ever captured in our careers of holding cameras. Definitely.
1: I mean, it was just really creatively invigorating for me. Yeah. Like, I feel like I could do that. I would like to do that type of thing at least once a month. Like if I did that 12 times a year.
0: Yeah.
1: Granted, that's probably too much footage. Sure. (laughs) To deal with, but... I just, the experience of it, I really enjoy.
0: I find myself like just watching documentaries as when it comes to like my entertainment and then being incredibly opinionated on them, uh, which is like, I feel a sense, a chip on my shoulder when it comes to documentary and a a sense of competition. Yeah. Every time I watch like a doc about a celebrity or something, I'm like, I positive we could have made that better. I'm like currently
1: angry yeah, about sure. the footage that we have right. in like a good way, <laughs> I'm like competitive. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I don't know how to explain that. Like I'm excited about it, but I'm also like, I'm going to angrily make sure this is good.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know what you're talking about. I know that emotion. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Now let's get into our first question, huh? What do we got? All right. This question comes from the Reddit. This comes from Throwback Gaming. Uh, and Throwback Gaming says, this is prompted by Rent and Link's interview where they talked about iterating on ideas and finding a video idea that is a hit, like when they talk about the one-off idea of Will it Taco. Here's my question. How do you determine what works when you don't have the benefit of having an audience to gather feedback from? Good question. I mean, the best thing you can do is
1: study what is working for other people. Mm-hmm. Which we did for a long time. I mean, we continued to put out videos that got around four to five thousand views, but we were consistently studying titles and thumbnails of videos that had a million. I remember, yeah. like that's yeah, something yeah. we deliberately started to do was just see what are these titles and what are these thumbnails because you you can obviously, you're, you know, as Rhett and Link said, your your audience is your focus group, so you do have to pay attention to your audience even if they are, even if it is a smaller group of people. But the best thing I think you really can do is
0: a little bit of both. I also think you need to pay attention to your process of making the video. You know, again, I think we had a lot of experiences where we made videos we're really happy with and they objectively, you know, quote unquote, worked because they got a lot of viewership. But we had really struggled to make something else like that, and so that 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 doesn't work actually as a format or a series. Um, even if the one episode of it or the one video style you did worked, it, it didn't quote unquote like it's not a series you can decide on because it's really hard to replicate. And I think that's still to this day the 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 challenge of being a creator is trying to figure out what works on the platform and what works for you, and those those are like evolving. And I think that if you don't have an audience, like let's say you don't have even a hundred people watching your videos, I would first get to a point where you can make enough videos to have a bigger sample size and try and gain audience, um, but also build a community of friends who can at least watch it and give you feedback on it. Um, because the audience is like your, your focus group. I think Rhett says that in our in our interview with him. And there's this great quote from um, John Mayer from his Berkeley School of Music talk where he, he's talking about the public and talking about how when you are a you know, popular musician, when you're making pop music, the public is a big part of your process. What's the exact
1: quote? Well, he asks the audience. He says, how many of you think that oh, the, the, public the public is dumb. mostly dumb. Yeah. And I guess a few people raise their hands. Yeah. And he says, the public is way smarter than you. Right. He says, if you put out a song, you work really hard on it, you think it's great, and all of a sudden, whoosh,
0: no one watches it, who's smarter than who? Right, right, right. right. And, that, and again, that's like coming straight into saying, like, how do I make YouTube videos that people watch? That's not saying, did you make something that was valuable right. and enjoyable
1: that's yeah. just saying within the confines of YouTube. But I do think to what you said earlier, grabbing friends who can watch it, like sometimes we've learned the most from watching other people watch, watch our, our videos yes. live. Not yes. just send them a link and say, no, hey, no, no. would you mind yeah, watching Sit next it? to them. Yeah. Sit next to them and watch it because their face is often an indicator. Yeah. And their focus is an indicator of what you've made. It's and a really you, and uncomfortable experience. It, hurt. it yeah. hurts to see someone lose focus or not laugh when they mm-hmm. were supposed to laugh.
0: Logan Paul talked about this. He said he would show it to his friends and watch where their eyes came off the screen, and I think that's like a—it's a really important thing you can do. It's just like, wait—is this engaging or not? And then I also think you know, Rhett talked about this in our interview where he says um, it's not just about the quality of the content you're making, but how you're getting it out to people. Like, how are you distributing it? That's a whole other skill set, right? Packaging, and that's a skill set we overlooked for a long part of our YouTube career, where thinking about designing titles or designing thumbnails, it's still something we're catching up to now. I mean, I was going
1: to say, we have almost a million subscribers and yeah. we
0: still don't prioritize
1: it a lot of the time, right. where it's the night before, two nights before, and we're still yeah. workshopping titles and thumbnails
0: and don't feel like we really have it. At least we have more practice in it, mm-hmm. you know? And I would say that that is something that you also should practice, is writing titles and thinking about your series around like, how do these titles work? How did the how does this format work from literally what I'm gonna title the video and what the thumbnail is gonna look like? One thing Ryan Trahan does a lot is he draw he sketches out his thumbnails. Same with we were with Chucky uh at the Mr. Beast Burger opening, who's Mr. Beast's uh thumbnail designer. They're working on like sketches. They're literally sketching like with with I don't know what kind of tools they're using. Wacom tablets. Is that what they're called? That's Colin? Sure. it's one that Wacom? you could use. Is it Wacom or Wacom? Wacom or Wacom. Chris. Chris. Wacom. Wacom. Yeah. Wacom. Tab- Everyone says it differently. Yeah. It's one thing that no one can agree on. Wacom or Wacom. Yeah. <laughs> but there's, they're sketching out these thumbnails and I think it's a really good practice uh, to just sit down and write titles and, and sketch them out. So how do you decide what works for us currently? You know, we have a viewership threshold that we, we want to hit, which is we want to at least be getting a hundred thousand views on what we're putting out. But really when I'm looking at things that are quote unquote working or reflecting on that, a lot of it is how was it to make that? What was that like to make that? And can we make it again? And I think that's, that's an evolving process and we always have to be, have a keen eye on that and always try and make sure that we're building into a frictionless environment. And right now I think we have a good amount of friction to put stuff out. So You know, we're we're currently move right here with all the friction. We're currently working on this right now. So I would come back to this and talk through, you know, how this next iteration of the show evolves, you know, like how do we how do we now work through this and, and continue to find things that that work? Last thing I'll say about this is that we're also tweaking a lot of things constantly. You know, I think about the interview we did with Cody and Noel on YouTube, which we talked about, I think last week or two weeks ago, that it wasn't really performing up to our standards. We just kept tweaking things and tweaking things and tweaking things, and now it's performing extremely well. It's just like tweaking titles, tweaking thumbnails, tweaking uh, the description, tweaking how you're promoting it, you know, like all of those different things you have to just keep working on. All right. The next one, I want to just acknowledge this. This came from uh, the Reddit. This is from, how do you say this name? Debito you know YT, what do you got? I have a gripe with okay. you reading Reddit names because they're
1: often auto generated. Yeah. So does it really matter? And they're very difficult to say. It can be like Hero Man 836Z okay. underscore, you
0: know? Okay. Or Frogman 477. Exactly. Seven. What is it? What, what is are mine? we doing Frogman? reading these Reddit names? Well, if I'm on the Reddit, I want to be acknowledged. But I think we should. Like find a shorthand. You don't need to read the whole thing. Grab a little bit. Debito, YT. Okay. Okay. Let me get, if you're going to give a gripe, let me give my gripe. All right, fine. Now. I'll give my gripe right now. Do you know when you hold the door open for someone? Talking about you or me. me? Me, but the royal you also. Got it. So this is my story, but it's about the royal you. So when you open the, the, the door for someone and you hold it open, and maybe it's like a decent amount of time, like they kind of do the slow jog to like, oh, you know, yeah. I got to walk. i got to go through, which I appreciate. Sure. But then they don't say anything when they go through. Mm. They just go through the door and not say anything. So your gripe is with manners and gratitude. I think that that is just a very simple thing to go. Hey, thanks. That's it. I would agree. Or acknowledgement, even a head nod. I don't think anyone Even would a argue. nonverbal head nod. Yeah, but I'm if not- anyone's just busting through that door that you kept open, I got a gripe with that. And that happens. That just happened to me this morning. Yeah, no, it's... Uh, how mad does it make you, though? It doesn't make me, like, angry, angry. Yeah. Like, I'm not boiling. Because there's kind of like a
1: 50-50 chance when you hold the door open that you're not going to get a thank you.
0: Do you remember the MTV show Boiling Point?
1: No. Not enough.
0: It was fantastic. Okay. So let me explain the premise. And actually, it, that now that I'm talking about it, it reminds me of Eric's last video. But um, Boiling Point was this show where like someone would go into a restaurant. Right. And there'd be hidden cameras everywhere. And there'd be like an absurd waiter who would just be like slowly getting more and more annoying. And you'd see when the other person reached their boiling yeah, point. It's punked, but not for celebrities, basically. Kind of. Yeah. But, and then they like, if they like freak out, that's like, they reach their boiling point and that's like, Oh, it's crazy. Did you, re- did you reach? Did you reach your there, boiling but, point? No, but there's when a lot no of times. Thank you. There's a lot of times in my life where I think in my head, "Am I on boiling point right now? Like, is someone is someone bothering me right now you to s- the point of said this of, before?
1: You always feel like you're getting pranked. I always
0: think I'm getting pranked. Yeah. All right. So this is what DeBito YT yep. says. He 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 put together. We talked about VTubers last week, or again, maybe the week before. We some t- at some well. point, Virtual we talked about VTubers, VTubers. and. To help us, he wrote an entire essay. Now, I'm not going to read the whole essay, but I just want to urge everyone who's part of our Reddit community to go check this out because it is so in-depth and it goes through the context of how VTubers came to be. And it goes all the way to have like a conclusion about VTubers. And I find this to be so interesting and so cool that um, I would absolutely love to talk about it in more depth on the show. But I just want to thank the Reddit community for stuff like this. This is, this is amazing. Can you give us even a little bit of information? Something kind of interesting. So I have two things, but because you don't know them, I'd like to surprise you with them. Okay. Yeah. So I, I'm going to hold on Oh, them. You're going to hold. Yeah. Cause to surprise me right now. No. And there's one thing that I found through reading it. That is not in there that I'd like to surprise you with. Why can't we surprise me now? Like what, what's the big, are you sure? What, what's the deal? Okay, fine hold stand by keep keep the audience uh
1: entertained while i do this i mean that's borderline gripe to say i have a great surprise i'm not going to give it
0: okay so keep everyone entertained colin
1: i'm gonna let everyone sit in silence and take some deep breaths
0: (laughs) okay you ready for this all right hold on i'm gonna play a video right now um and just tell me what what it is
1: Why does it seem like every time you're watching TV, there's a commercial for a new brand of cat food, and it's always some kind of crazy new flavor, like tuna and salmon surprise, or chicken and liver delight. I don't need a new flavor of cat food every other week. Just tell me what was so bad about the old ones. They were great. And why are they always trying to trick us with these new flavors? They'll be like, we know you like tuna, so we put some tuna in this can, but we also put some other stuff in there too. I don't want to have to guess what's in my
0: cat food. What are you listening to right now? This
1: is an AI generated version of Jerry Seinfeld's voice, as well as an AI generated joke.
0: Let me just tell you something: you're no fun. Well, I'm I right. I'm, I'm right. Right. You're, You suck the fun out <laughs> of all of my games. I had, you, was I not supposed to guess? That was ridiculous. So yes, that's what it is. But I guess that was. Like I mean, a, we're talking
1: about virtual YouTubers. <laughs> I could guess, have seen that
0: from a mile away. Okay, that was surprising to me. Yeah, that's it is an surprising. AI written joke. I guess that's all I know. That's what I said. The prompt was a Jerry Seinfeld routine about cats. And it's it's a deep fake voice of Jerry Seinfeld and an AI written joke. That's a wild world. So I'm not again, I think we should go into depth on this concept, but that's all I would say. Okay. All right. This one comes from auto moderator. On Reddit. What's one creator skill you want to improve the most? Tell us about it in the comments below and explain how you plan to improve. I loved reading through these, but I figured we could answer this on here. What do you feel like one creator skill is you want to improve? The ability to get asked a question and immediately have a response. Mm.
1: Mm.
0: Nice. Very medical. Because <laughs> in this instance, Again, I have, no I, have fun, I don't know. Man. Come
1: on, we're playing games here. I can't think of anything okay. right now.
0: I, I think without question for me, it's, um, I actually think it's comfort on camera. Like, that is something that I'd really like to improve is getting more reps and being much more comfortable speaking to a camera. That's still a process that I think even 10 years in every camera you develop a new relationship with, like every format, every series, all of that. And I'd like to get to a world where like, I love Hank Green on camera. Yeah. Hank Green on camera to me is like so natural. You're really like, that is Hank Green. And I'd like to get to a point where my natural state is able to be communicated on camera. And I'm not like hyper-conscious of the camera. I think that is something that I'd like to work on uh, over the next couple of years. I actually can't believe how much more uncomfortable I am on camera after having been
1: in this career for so long. What do you think that is? Do you think that's like pressure? No, I was thinking about that too. I don't really feel the pressure of having a million subscribers. It doesn't feel that different to me. We're still making videos. By the way, we
0: don't have a million subscribers. I know. So you're I'm, saying it like. Like, like it's d- going to happen. Yeah. But you're saying it like. You remember in lacrosse practice. When some people wouldn't run through the line. And then they'd make you run again. Of course. It, yeah, <laughs> that was I mean, that terrible. Was, that was hell. But. I'm doing that. You're doing that. Oh, you're you're right. not running through stop. the line. I should stop. You're not running through the line. You're jogging at the end. Thinking you're done with the sprints. Yeah. We're not done with the sprints. Yeah, it's bad, Carmo. We could end up having to do way more sprints. Yeah, till yeah. We cross every it. time, okay. every time you say we have a million As subscribers, our audience has grown, the days extend to us getting to a million. That's what's happening. You're Similar right. to lacrosse practice You're and, right. and win sprints. Okay, right. carry on. No, I just I don't really feel the pressure
1: of the subscribers or the increase in viewership. I think it's just uh, com- one. I'm getting old on camera. Okay, and the compounding effect of continuing to look at myself for so long. I just. I never thought I would look at myself this much Mm. in so many different mediums and forms and have to think about how I'm showing up on camera. Yeah. Whereas eight years ago, I used to go on solo trips with the lacrosse network and vlog myself the whole time. Right. Whether it was going to the all-star game or filming with our friend Kyle, I didn't even really think about it. To The fact that I had to film myself. Now I'd be terrified, honestly. I would hate to do it if I had to go like- vlog on my own. Mm. I just would hate it.
0: Yeah. To, that's interesting. I think to me, it it comes down to relationship with that camera and the audience. There was a time with, with lacrosse network where we, I think we really settled into like exactly who our audience was also because we were going to a lot of events. Mm-hmm. So we saw our audience, we met them in person and we we're like, Oh, this is who we're making stuff for. And I think that anonymity is, makes it really hard. Cause you know we we have a bunch of live speaking engagements this month, and those experiences, for me, feel like the immediate view of the audience and the immediate reaction from the audience gives me the energy of of the room and allows me to play with that. I think when you're in a room by yourself or talking to a camera by yourself, even though you're talking to maybe a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand people uh, virtually, like you you actually aren't getting that that energy back from them. And I think that, for me, is what makes it harder is to understand like how are people reacting? And this is back now to the to the trip to New Jersey at the, uh, at the mall. We met a lot of fans of the show and it, it was really interesting. I feel like with this, w- with our growth that we've had over the past couple of years, we haven't really had that many opportunities to meet people who are watching the show mm-hmm. and meeting people who are watching the show helps contextualize who you're making the show for. And I think that's really helpful, at least for me, to To recognize like how how I'm showing up on camera or how I'm speaking, you know, like that's like that is so much of the energy is understanding who you're making stuff for and who's who's enjoying it, who's getting value from it. Yeah, as much as this is a very relaxed format, I still yeah. feel like we
1: don't have a format or a style that's as relaxed as a Hank Green. For sure, and that's just maybe our skill set right now. For sure, like we're yeah. not. Yeah. The same as Hank and he has such
0: a comfort yeah. for being on camera, but I think that has to do with reps though. All of this yeah. has to do with reps, right? Like I feel more relaxed on the mics than I do on, on camera. My
1: least favorite is an Instagram story. I haven't posted really? an Instagram story face to camera in so long.
0: Well, right now is probably the time we should announce that you're going you're starting improv class.
1: Well, I have to move it because Just we're gonna call to be and gone. move it. You've but been saying that for two days. I did days. I called to move it, but I don't see when the next class is starting. I sent them an email this morning. So. Good. Well, Colin's starting improv. Yeah. So that's pretty
0: exciting. That's going to be that good. That is exciting. Yeah, it's yeah. good. I'm I think it is, it's going to help. Like it, you'll recognize like it is reps. And I think that is the thing. So the, the, basically to come uh, bring this full circle, if, if anyone else feels like this too, where they maybe have discomfort on camera, I think it's comes down to making your environment really safe mm-hmm. to record, right? Making it really safe to mess up. Like I was, go- we did a photo shoot last week with um, a photographer who came in and I went through some of the photos uh, with my wife and there was some where she laughed because they were so uncomfortable. And I was looking at it and I was like, you know what though? If we don't even have the, in, it, it in us to go through this discovery process, we're never going to get good at taking photos. Yeah. So you just have to kind of like, if you really want to do it, you got to create a safe environment where you don't feel uncomfortable just practicing. And just trying because it's the only way it's going to happen. It's not going to magically happen. Yeah. Like it's literally, it's not going to magically happen. So I think for the creators who are responding to this thread and, and thinking about the skills that they want to improve. Uh, I just want to add a comment to, I think some of the
1: reasons why I feel this way sometimes Okay, all right. let's, on let's dig in. There's a comment on the Ret and link video that says, Colin looks like he's in a hostage video. So like my discomfort Wait, what does that was mean? so clear.
0: Uh, Got it.
1: You know what I mean? Yeah. And like, I did feel that way. Even in that interview, I was like uncomfortable. Mm. Like I didn't feel comfortable in the seat. Mm. I think it's just like, it's a process. Some interviews I feel really comfortable. Yeah. Andrew Schultz, where arguably you would think we would feel the most uncomfortable because he was messing with the room a lot and saying crazy things. I actually felt really comfortable.
0: Yeah. I think though the, you know, again, this concept of practice, like our cadence of sitting and recording is pretty few and far between right now because we've done a lot of interviews. So it's almost happening in sprints. It's not happening as like a, every week you're sitting down. And when you think back to Lacrosse Network, we were making a weekly show that was every week you're grabbing a camera and walking outside and vlogging. Every week. So mm-hmm. every Monday we did that. And then we added another show that was weekly. And that, that show awesome. I could totally yeah. film by myself. Right. And it, but again, it was the reps. It was, it was 52 episodes in a year that mm-hmm. we would do. Yeah. And so again, I think that, that when you're thinking about creator skills that you want to improve the most, find a way to build in practice. So yeah, that's my that's my high level. That was the last question, Colin. Not even one on the way this time. You sure? Yeah. Well, you, you wanna do was that one on the way? You have another it one? Could be. You tell me, man. This is you, you judged me hard last week for that. So for I'm gonna let you way. I'm gonna let you decide how this goes at the end. You wanna play a numbers game? Like a guessing game? Yeah. Actually, I don't want to play that with you anymore. Why? Because I guessed, right? Yeah, because you just suck the fun out of those. (laughs) Those are no fun. All right. Thanks for listening to this episode of Creator Support. Colin can't find another question. Join the Reddit if you want to ask us a question, and we will see you next week to answer more of your questions. No video questions this week, so if you have a video that you want to post in the Reddit, we will answer it next week on the show. See ya. (laughs) Had you heard the Jerry Seinfeld thing before? No. I just assume. This AI generated Jerry Seinfeld.
1: But the context, why would you play that to me? We're talking about VTubers and you go, all right, I'm going to surprise you with something.
0: Here's this. Of course. This guy hates fun.